Welcome to the 501 Companion Podcast, an educational and news podcast slash vodcast for 501c3 charitable organizations that want to create better content, optimize their technology, and improve their marketing to better serve their mission. This is episode 13, and we have some fun 13s for you. 13 is a baker's dozen. Friday the 13th could be deadly. 13 is an unlucky number, except for the United States, which was founded on 13 British colonies. Wow. Nick, cue the music. Wow, we made our way through that. Uh, The 13th episode, guys, I almost didn't make it through my uh, brand new teeth here, Um, but we got here. We made it to 13 episodes. We're going to be doing some continuation of the things that we started in previous episodes. Matt will be leading us on that. But first, Matt, I I think you have some very interesting things that tie into the number 13. I think we do too. So how are you, everybody? My name is Matt. I am your digital marketer. I was uh, doing digital marketing before geeks were trendy and cool. I'd like to thank Bill Gates for that, by the way. So for 13, it's not exactly 13, but for those of you who are familiar, and we can elaborate on this for the new product diffusion curve, you may not have heard of that, but you've probably heard of early adopters. Mm-hmm. Ah, see, early adopters in the new product diffusion curve are the people who jump on early. They represent 13.5% of your customers. Interestingly enough, only 2.5% of them are innovators, and 68% make up the early and late majority. And I guess that's why it's called the majority, right? <laughs> And then lagging behind them is what's called the laggards, but they still have 16%. So interesting to me is um, a lot of times some of these different areas of um, of your customers in the different stages of adoption are ignored. You may focus too heavily on the innovators or people who may share or may get your product out there, but that's only two and a half percent of your overall customer base and fairly low share of voice. And as you move up that curve, you're gonna start to increase market share. And so for me, um, the takeaway is to understand the difference in how an innovator approaches your brand versus maybe somebody in the early majority and how you should adjust your marketing because we're working on messaging, marketing and content. You know, I think what's great about that, Matt, is that so many of the people who are involved in charitable organizations feel like they are not technical, feel like they've fallen behind in social media and or marketing, and we are here to help them feel like they are going to get up to speed, and we will be Mm. helping them with that. So, Matt, if you're our CTO, Nick, you are – no, what are you? You're our chief (laughs) – Some. what are you, Nick? Chief Geek? Chief Geek. Chief Geek. And what's your background, Nick? Um, I have a little bit of marketing, but primarily uh, computers, desktop, internet, web, database, everything everything online, basically. He makes but, stuff happen. Yeah. Well, but I have questions for Matt. Okay. Product diffusion curve. Ooh. Big words. Yeah. What does that mean? All right, so that to somebody <laughs> like me, even though I know like some marketing, no? I kind of get it. Kind of sounds like I could make sense out of it, but what does it really mean? I mean, they're just words that I say to be impressive. <laughs> 
actually we'll cover that later when we start to talk about the topic of the day but um the product diffusion curve reality right so your customers can be grouped according to how quickly they adopt your product right right so on one extreme, some customers adopt as soon as it becomes available. These are your innovators. These are your risk right. takers who are willing to try something unproven or unknown. And they only represent two and a half percent. But as we start to look at some of the articles that we're gonna talk about later, you'll see why they're important, why these innovators also push out that message and start to inform the rest of this curve Right, the other 98% or 97.5% about what's going on and who and take their lead from. Now, the early adopters, they come second, right? So they're based on this positive response of the innovators. The early adopters start to say, oh, okay, they've tried a couple of things. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes they fail. But when they start to like something, maybe it's safe for me to try too. And these are your early adopters, right? And they're educated they are opinion leaders as well and they only represent about 13 and a half percent but together you know that's a solid what 16 percent or so of your first stage now your market share is still low then but what's important is what the different groups buy on innovators buy unproven new interesting try it not afraid to fail early adopters a little more researched want to know a little bit more about your product. Now you have the early majority. They're careful. They avoid risk, right? The early majority adopts a product or your organization once you've been proven to the early adopters, right? This is the early majority. So innovators came along, early adopters came along, and you have early majority. So they rely on recommendations. This is where your share of your, your, your voice, your word of mouth marketing, we'll discuss it later on the topic of the day, right? Starts to come in. Now the late majority, these are the skeptics. <laughs> Customers who, look, it's gotta be proven got to be commonplace right? before I'm willing to give this a shot. I want to know it's going to work. I don't like to deal with hassle. <laughs> yeah. And then you have laggards. I don't want to avoid change. I still like my Nokia phone, right? And this thing is a brick. It's never going to break. I can make phone calls on it. I don't need this fancy schmancy touchscreen things. I like buttons, laggards, right? So you can see how the different purchasing behavior, and I use purchasing because this is typically used in, in you know, consumer packaged goods, stuff like that, but it can be applied to, as we discuss content, content strategy, content messaging, barriers to adoption, what is the appropriate message for the audience that you're going after? Does that make sense? Very good. Yeah. That's cool. pretty smart. He's He's got a marketing, a master's degree in marketing, so he knows what he's talking about. Now, I made all that crap up. It oh, makes me think about whether or not um, an organization would would want to be focused on yeah. targeting innovators. No, it's true. You know, yeah. Uh, thinking of maybe the you know at the the charity balls. You know, you're not going to get the 68 percent probably, but you're going to get those. You know, it's not exactly the same as what you're talking about, but you know, you're really targeting a select few. So I don't know if it's, it's, it's a little different concept, but it's similar. 
Yeah, and it's important to note, you know, uh, there's also this personality type set that go into the different ones, right? So yeah. are they research oriented, et cetera? I mean, innovators are typically well-informed. They're not just trying stuff, right? It, you know, so what's the content that will help someone be well-informed? They're risk takers, but they're calculated and they're going to move on quickly. Right. That's right. But those people who bought the first Teslas, you know, yeah, that they might be moving on to the next thing, and yeah. that is that is important. And um, you know, with that, I and Matt referenced this. I am your content strategist, Buddy Scalera, and uh, I focus on all things content, which is one of my favorite topics tonight. Will be about content strategy, um, and we'll be getting into that right after we get through the news. In the last episode, uh, we mm. had musicians contributing uh, rare vinyl to raise money uh, for mental health and mm -hmm. addiction wellness. Um, but this one, I picked this one specifically, I was looking for something that related to soccer. And I found this particularly interesting article uh, that was headlined, David Beckham juggles soccer ball 100 times, because 100 significant in this case, to honor the late Captain Tom Moore on his 101st birthday. And it links to a video um, that is on Twitter of mm -hmm. David Beckham with his soccer ball announcing the 100 uh, juggle and, and links also to captaintom.org uh, with a landing page specifically for the 100 challenge. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start off with you because you know uh, soccer and who David Beckham is, Yeah, I believe. What was the significance of this news article? Well, the significance is the 100. Um, so Captain Tom, um, you know, I guess last year uh, on his way to his 100th birthday, decided to pull off a feet and, and make 50 rounds of the garden. Uh, and before his 100th birthday, and he did it over the course of some time. And this became kind of a rally call. And he did it to benefit uh, mental health and healthcare workers, you know, at a time of COVID, uh, again, another UK charity. Uh, and, you know, and so this kind of got picked up and it garnered some support uh, and uh, it, it went viral and it became a foundation. So this is actually the next year and it is now the Captain Tom 100, which is, you know, okay, let's, you know, it's not just this one event, but it's, 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 it's trending there, you know, as you stated, buddy, it, the Captain Tom 100 is now a hashtag. And as you noted, uh, Dave and Beckham, obviously a famous soccer player, you know, is juggling the ball 100 times. And, and so I think maybe we can start to discuss about what does that mean? What does sponsorship mean? What does social mean? Social media mean to something like a hashtag for the Captain Tom 100? And, you know, I started for me, I started to look into what helps. Why do things go viral? You know, something like this. They ended up raising well over, he, I think his target was like $1,000. I think he ended up raising over $33 million or something like that, which is, you know, Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So, Nick, what, what were your thoughts when you were uh, checking? I had honestly never heard of it, and I was a little surprised. I had to, definitely had to look it up and look into what it was all about. And, yeah, I was just I, – I, what struck me, just as you, you – know, what you just said, Matt, it's that the, the amount – yeah, you know, raised is incredible. I thought I read forty-five million, which is it's yeah, amazing. Um, you know, I thought of how 
you know, celebrities seem to, and I guess this is just the, the, the nature of things, you know, celebrities seem to just draw attention to charities. I mean, yeah. obviously we're reading the news, we're reading what's hot, we're reading the, the, the most prominent articles. And, uh, you know, if you can get a celebrity or you can get some notoriety, you can go viral. Um, those are the things that are going to bring bring the uh, donations, bring the eyeballs in. So it's just just a and it's a good, great cause, obviously. Well, yeah. and, and and that's actually a great point, Nick. Um, you know, as I had mentioned, I was looking for charity plus soccer. And I was looking mm-hmm. because Matt's a big soccer fan and player and his whole family's into soccer. I was like, all right, let's do something that relates. Now, not only did I know very little about this Captain Tom, I was thinking he was the captain of the soccer team, maybe. Same, yeah. And then I realized... You know, I knew who David Beckham was, and I knew what juggling was. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not totally. Uh, I, I, I know who these things are. So, um, but I found that it was very interesting because a person like Matt, who might never have heard of this charity, British-based charity. Mm might have connected through his interest and as you said nick through celebrity now we don't know what other celebrities maybe you know maybe someone else will find a a british guitar player who will do 100 guitar solos or something and bring in other people but as much as you might not uh love the idea as a charity these celebrities certainly are an accelerant Mm -hmm. to raise awareness and donations and just bring attention to Captain Tom's mission. And I thought that was pretty yeah. exciting. He, he spent a lot of, they spent a lot of time thinking, talking about the mission, uh, which was healthcare and mental health. And I thought that was great. Yeah, I think it is. So, you know, when we think about these uh, elements, uh, one of the areas that I think our organizations that are trying to accelerate their mission should consider in finality is the idea that perhaps out there is a celebrity who would perhaps lend not just uh, uh, their checkbook, perhaps the gravitas of their own celebrity and bring their audience to the charity because David Beckham supports them. Well, now there's a whole bunch of Beckham fans that are going to go support the Captain Tom charity as well. Yeah. And what's interesting to me about celebrity endorsements for charities are are that when it comes to products, it's often hard to gauge the level of sincerity. Right. You know, so, you know, if if a celebrity tells you that I support these shoes, do they? Are you? Are they paid to? Is this a paid endorsement? Is this really a good shoe? You know, they're putting their name behind it, but what does that mean? And you, you know, you have to be careful, especially in social media, especially now that you have YouTubers and Instagram fame and TikTok fame, and you know, it's really not that hard for somebody to send a product in and say, "Hey, you get to keep this watch if you endorse it." Right, you know, and so you you sometimes in consumer packaged goods can question things. I think when it comes to charity endorsements, if you can get that endorsement, number one, they have a great social following and get that word of mouth out fast, which is always good if you can. But at the same time, I feel like there's more sincerity to it. Like, you know, there is there is oftentimes a story. There's oftentimes a connection. Uh, and so I, I, I always appreciate that. And, and I don't know, but I suspect a lot of times, you know, that 
press that share a voice is donated. You know, that's that's something that you if you were to promote a pen, you would have to pay for, you know, typically to get David Beckham to tweet about. Right. You know, that's not so I, I appreciate when I see something like this and I don't know for a fact the mechanics behind it, uh, if it's a paid endorsement or not. But I do not question as much as if I would if it were a product that they were looking for me to purchase. Does that make sense? So my it- It makes a lot of sense, and it actually kind of segues into the main section, which is about filling in those questions that people have, Yeah, and that could be in the form of content. Matt, lead us off into where we are in the journey. Uh, If people are following along, they've listened to the last 12 episodes, and I'm sure everybody has. Um, Where are we now, and what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, where are we now? So we've done a lot of, we've come a long way in this journey, episode 13. And, you know, we do cover 30 to 40 minutes each episode on this topic, which you, you add that all up and it's number numbers and then big ones. And <laughs> right no, but seriously, uh, so there's quite a bit of content. I encourage people to follow along. Um, it is a journey and it does have a path and it does build on itself. Um, and so where we've come, we've defined content strategy versus content marketing. In this section, we've done a lot of strategy leading up to this section. Uh, we've defined content strategy as guiding the creation, delivery, and governance of useful, usable content, all really good words, right? You know, creation, delivery, governance, useful, usable, right? You know, that we can start to dive deep into. And as we've given, dove in deep into <laughs> some of these last week, we talked a bit about uh, creation. Um, and now we're going to kind of move on. We're going to start to talk about we talked about content analysis. We're going to start to talk about gap analysis, content creation, and then maybe at the end, that governance part. Uh, probably not tonight, maybe in another episode or two, content governance and content management may span a couple of episodes. So tonight, uh, I thought maybe we could get into gap analysis as we talked about the initial analysis of your content, of your audience, and of your message. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about gap analysis. Do you want to kick us off, buddy? I certainly do, Matt. And I think that when we think about content as marketing professionals and technology professionals, we try to think about the cost of creation because technology and content tends to be fairly expensive and you you can't do everything that you want to do. Um, So often with technology, we do a quick assessment of what we have and then that reveals what we need. And those are gaps. And in a gap analysis, we start with what do we think that a user would want on our website? What question might they have? So we build these personas, and Matt talked about personas in previous episodes, and we map them to user journeys where somebody is like, I need something. So I search on Google, and then I find something, and I make a comparison, and then I make a decision, right? That's a user journey, and Matt took us through that. Now, content usually is there to answer a question about a product or a service. So you go to a website, and you want to know about the car that you're about to purchase, all right. What would you want to know about a car? Nick, you have you have uh, kids that drive. What would you want to know about a car if you were going to buy a new car? Highway safety ratings. 
Okay. Matt, you're, one of your kids is going to be driving pretty soon. What would you want to know about a car? Hope not that soon. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I mean, safety is obviously a thing. I would maybe also want to know uh, dependability. Sure. You don't want them stuck on the side of the road mm -hmm. and you want them safe in the event of an accident. And young drivers often are finding themselves in precarious situations because that's what young drivers do. Um, but immediately, both of you had questions. Now, you would probably go to the trusty Internet. You'd go to your social network. But at the end of the day, you, you want a reliable source. Mm. And what's a good third party source? And we'll start with the third party. What's a good third party source for information about cars? Nick, you want to go first? Where, where would you get information about cars? So if I were looking for X model and it's third party, I wouldn't go to xmodel.com. I would go to an independent website, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. maybe an Edmonds or a Kelly Blue Book, or if it's used, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a government site, right? I'd go to, if I wanted a safety rating, maybe I'd try to find it there or a, an independent magazine that rates cars. That's good. Now, Matt, where, where would you go for that information? I like the Motor Trend idea, right? Uh, they, they do write some great articles yeah. comparing specific models. Um, I also maybe consumer reports. Uh, again, an organization, right? I believe consumerreports.org. It's an org. Yes, it is. .org. It's a nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. Now, what's interesting about both of these things is neither of you trust the marketers that build the website for the car manufacturer. So you didn't go there first. You went to a trusted third party. Now, that's a content but that's not content that you can necessarily control. But now you've chosen, and I know, uh, Matt, you're a big Toyota guy, so am I. When would you go to a Toyota website? <laughs> when I want to know the tow capacity of the vehicle. Boom. Nick, when would you go to the Toyota website? Every day or sometimes to find out the, <laughs> the tow capacity. No, I, 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 I mean, the, the, the manufacturer sites have a lot of information. Yeah. You know, they, they'll have information that um, at least, you know, that what they're putting out there is what you know, they're, they're the creators of it. They make the product. They're supposed right. to have the best information Boom. Uh, about that. That's product. it. Facts. You go there for right. facts. Yep. Right. And you and that goes to something that's the, the, the important thing that we're going to start to bring back to charities, which is Toyota is the authority on the Toyotas. Mm -hmm. And but they're not going to compare themselves necessarily unfavorably right. to another manufacturer like Honda. Right. They will only make a comparison where they come out on top. Now, where you'd go for information about a charity might not be first the charity. Even if you discovered the charity you might go someplace else for third party research. Mm -hmm. But once you get to that charity, when you get there you're going to want information. Now, what kind of information might you want if you were about to donate to the Captain Tom charity? Matt, what would you want to know before you opened your wallet and slid your credit card and swiped it across the top of your monitor? Because I know you have a stripe at the top of your Dude, monitor. For, it's, for... it's now the chip and pin. It's the chip and pin. Nick, yeah. Nick, just, Nick just taps his credit card on his monitor. But Matt, what would, might, might you look for before you swipe that credit card? Well, I might go to something like a charity navigator. 
mm-hmm. you know, some, again, a trusted third party um, to see if it, you know, is indeed as good a charity from the paperwork as I think it is. You know, I like, oftentimes I like the cause and there may be a good recommendation for it or another. And, you know, you can go in and find that out. Um, I'm, again, for a charity as well, believe it or not, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure where you're going with this, but I, I do go to the charity website. I like I to read the story, the that's it. Oh, oh, did I do it? Did I? Am I a crowd pleaser? That's it. Now? You're a crowd pleaser. Oh my goodness! I, you I went feel there. like I'm a paid advertiser for your content strategy. Now you, I would like to note that I have accepted no payment from Buddy to say those things. And yet I roll up the flag and say, Matt, you you won the evening. <laughs> Matt goes for stories. Nick, what 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 might you be looking for if you went to a website, a .org website specifically for a charity that you were interested in? Yep. I'd look at, you know, who runs it. I'd look at uh, how much yep. money they make, where the yep. money's going to. I try, but, you know, I think Charity Navigator might be a better place for it. But how much of the uh, the money is going and how much money is being kept for, you know, the organization to, to run itself. So just things like that. Where it's located. Is it local? Yep. National? Sure. Sure. It, depending on, the, on the, the reason for contributing, you're yeah. looking for content. Now, you've put on your hat as a user, and often when we build websites, we forget that the website is for the user, not for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. and, and a gap doesn't necessarily mean what we want to say. The gap is what the user needs to be able to access and read stories, contact information, mm. who's on the board. Those are the kinds of things that people want from their charities. I might add that there may be charitable events that are calendar-based. They may be hosting walks um, or some sort of fundraiser. Uh, they may be selling cookies or something else. When I go to that website, I want to know about those things. And I want to be validated to know that if somebody placed something on Facebook that announced some sort of charitable event, I expect to find that on their website as well. But you would be amazed at how many times there is a giant, and we'll use the word gap, in between their promotion and even a tweet or a press release Mm. and what you find on a website. So circling around to what you had just said, Matt, there may be an opportunity to utilize a celebrity like David Beckham, what that charity did extremely well was the first thing they did was you landed on a page called the Captain Tom 100. And when you got there, it validated that you were in the right place. It told Mm. you who Captain Tom was, Mm. what the nature of this charitable organization was, and why David Beckham was juggling 100 versus any other number, right? Because the hundred seemed to matter. Now, when we think about this, they did an excellent job of answering all the questions I had and then all the questions that other users might have by creating a landing page that was robust, cross-linked, and thought very deeply about what the user's needs were. And I think when we think about the gap analysis that an organization might do, they might need to sit down, list everything that's already on their website and answer the question, would this be valuable to my users? I'm gonna pause one second because it's a really important fact and I, I know you both know this, you can put too much on your website. 
<laughs> you can make it literally impossible to find. And one yeah. of the tricks that we used to do when we all worked together was we would um, take a screenshot of the website yep. and then we would number every single item oh. that you could click on a website. Ooh. Now, in one event, we, we looked at a website that looked pretty clean and there were 67 clickable aspect assets on right 67 and we were they were astonished there was like how can that be and i'm like look these are all the things that you can click so a gap analysis shouldn't necessarily turn into an overload of information and options it should result in a succinct clear right funnel right as matt was just showing on the screen that that guides people through their user journey whatever that journey is if it's participating in a live event if it's sharing yeah. on social making a, a donation or a purchase but you have to think about the user journey and the way you think about it is what would they need to know at this point in their own discovery yeah for me coming from social media I needed the 101 most basic information, but Matt, you might have known about this charity and you might have needed to know the 201 or 301 information. But that's yeah. what we think about when we think about gap analysis. Yeah, I mean, I think that is you know incredibly interesting. And I, I remember those times when we would, you know, when we a lot of times, right? Gap analysis, this is one of the one of the earlier stages of content strategies. You need to see where you're at. Right, what's going on? You need to, this. We're doing an evaluation uh, and you, this gap analysis as well. And and so when we used to do that and say, okay, there's 67 potential paths here. Which one are you interested in your customer taking? <laughs> right, and you know which information. This is why this strategy leading up to today, and as I noted earlier to map that journey, to create those personas, to understand your message, understand your barriers. This gets you to that point where you're not putting a file cabinet out there and saying, here's a library, your answer is in here somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, tens of thousands it. of people retweeted that David Beckham post. Yeah. And that's significant to note because tens of thousands of people probably click through it and they all had questions yeah and that's where the gap is but you have to answer those questions before ten thousand people arrive on your website on monday yeah so building a gap analysis starts with asking the question of what matt's uh, journey was with us during these earlier episodes and you can go back and and find them on the website um but at at 501c3lookup.org uh, you can go find them on the website but Listen to what Matt has explained to us. You have to think about who your user is. And it's usually not you, but in, in charities, you might be a proxy because you might be passionate about a, a, a mission. Um, think about the journey. And the journey might start on Facebook. It might start on Twitter. It might start on a on a new television news channel, and they're covering a feel-good news story. Think yeah. about how people will journey to your website. And it's not just introducing them to your charity, because a charity builds relationships. It's how they become part of your charitable organization's family, how they become supporters, and eventually evangelists. This is all stuff that Matt covered. But then you have to supplant this with content that answers their questions when they get there and some of them will have similar questions and some of them will have very unique specific questions, but working toward that gap is will help you give the right content to those users to move them along their journey. Yeah. And would it, would, would a gap analysis 
consider things like the form the content takes. Oh my God, Matt, that's so true. You know, I think when we when we started off, I mean, all of us started off in the internet when everything was on the desktop. (laughs) And now, um, if you look at most websites, um, most website analytics i saw a report recently it's tipped past 51 percent of all websites globally are accessed first on a mobile device and then they have a continuation on a desktop but if we think about the millennial generation they're more likely to have three mobile devices than one desktop that they own the desktop they own is probably from work and there, if, if there's something that's personal out there, they're going to look at it on a mobile device. So when you think about how those people will consume your content, will it be through their mobile screen? Will it be through an app, through yeah. a social media? Will it be through a TikTok video? Creating content that moves and flows like water through the channels is very, very important. And if you don't think about it at the time of creation, you're going to miss an opportunity if you only create for your desktop. So it's a great point, Matt. You must create for the channels that your users use and you must understand your analytics. Nick, you're you're an analytics expert. Can you tell us how much of the traffic from your website is mobile? Do you have any sense of that Um, at this point? I have to look up the latest stats, but it was significant. I think it's got to be at least, and let's see if I can get it real quick. You know, while he's looking that up, I actually just sent out an email uh, the other day. It was over 60% mobile. Um, And then I I, I think it was even higher than that. It may have been over 70. And then within that, what I found interesting too is as devices go, it was well over 95% iPhone. And now what's interesting, you know, is going forward, what that tells me is it also opens doors for features and functionality that I can add into something like that email that I know would be supported on something like iPhone only. And I know, you know, sometimes when you're early stage, you have to be a little bit more broad. You don't know who your customers are and what they're doing. And as you learn, you can start to say, oh, I can have video in the email. I can do these things. You know, there's different things that you can do as you learn about your customers and their behaviors, which is why, you know, Nick is looking up the analytics now, why it's so interesting and important to review that when you are building this gap analysis. Go ahead, Nick. My, uh, yeah, yeah we, tell us what you saw, Nick. No, 501c3lookup.org is primarily desktop. It's uh, 73% desktop. So oh, right. it's, it's not surprising for a site like 5013. Information heavy. 501c3 look up easy, but yeah, yeah, I also, uh, I got a new new mouth today. But new we, mouth. we offer a lot of tabular data. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very uh, paginated. It's a little bit different than, than some other sites, but yeah, good but, quarter. But I think, I think one time. of the things, we're, we're getting a little bit, honestly, a false positive. Most of us aren't very mobile these days, yeah. right? Most of our experiences, mm. at least for people who are have work from home situations, yeah. is gonna, going to be through a desktop. And, you know, if you're sitting in front of a desktop and you have an iPhone, I have to use my desktop. That's fascinating. Oh, gosh. Now i got to dive into some serious analytics and figure out if there's a connection between COVID and screen size. Yeah, I would imagine there is. I I, I would have to imagine that there is. And, of course, think about generationally. Matt, you talk about the access of that one website. Mm -hmm. If you're dealing with a treatment or a charity that maybe skews on the younger side – it would not be at all surprising to see a much higher mobile usage of your site if you were 
attracting a younger audience than an older audience. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, when we start to talk about what's on the screen, which actions we can take, how many links are there, you know, you, you may want to consider that as well and prioritization of that content, depending on that experience, if you come on a mobile versus you come on a desktop. And, and you know, we talk at length about content length, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and what that looks like and readability and, and consumability, uh, et cetera. So, you know, again all goes into this analysis. Yeah, and I think the gap analysis is really important going back to the first thing I said, which is content is expensive to create and it takes time. But it doesn't have to be all of your budget because you just need to create the content that matters to your user and not waste any time with content that won't matter to them. Mm. And a little bit of planning and strategy goes a long way before you commit yourself to creating content and making sure that in your gap analysis, you understand what the next step content that your user might want to get to the end that is mutually beneficial to both of you is another gap. That is, if they need to get from A to Z, you need to think about all the letters in the alphabet that will get them there. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be that complicated, but maybe you get them A to D and you need to make sure if you have A, you need B and C. And that's also part of a gap analysis to guide people through their user journey. And again, as you had noted, Matt, they might start on a mobile device and complete on a desktop. So you need to really think about what your users' needs are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and then what about language? Oh gosh. You know, I think there's two aspects of, of language. And and I'm 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 passionate about readability. Yeah. And meeting uh, ADA standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ADA standards are Americans with Disabilities Act standards. Mm-hmm. And having a reading level that can uh, speak to people in a language that they will understand. And sometimes that might mean uh, modifying your language and then running it through. Uh, there are some standards processors, yep. including on Microsoft Word, it's just built in, where you can see what the reading level is. Now, in healthcare, you might want to target sixth to eighth grade reading level. And that might sound young, but you can still put out some really robust content to ensure that everybody can understand it. Now, your website is the anchor to that, and we don't want to just assume that we are exclusively English-speaking, especially here in the United States, where we have so much diversity. So we have to really think of our audience, do we only want to engage people who can speak English Or do we want to ensure that we can engage with people who speak other languages who maybe have joined our country and are here? And do we want to be able to service them? And then how do we do that? Well, sometimes it's helpful to to try to understand who your user is. You you, you know, typically United States, our first go-to language is Spanish, and that might be a good starting point, but you may need to think regionally, there are other parts of the country where other languages are prevalent. So Matt, you think you have to think about English readability and you also have to think about multilingual readability. Now, most of your browsers will translate them, but if you do it yourself and your source content is there, you're really, you're really reaching out to the community who wants to know more about your charity, but maybe English isn't their first language. Again, always very important to know, to know your audience. Know your audience and be respectful of them. And, and, you know, it's, um, you know, if you have a big mission, you have to be ready to uh, reach out to people in a way that, um, you know, they can, they can have a great experience as well. Good. 
I think we covered a lot of really good, right, a lot of good information today. Mm-hmm. I think we started to talk about the gap analysis. Uh, we went pretty deep on that, which I think is good. And I'll tell you, performing one is not easy. Um, there's a, it takes a lot of time to um, you know find the content, analyze the content, and in some case, some case, I mean, this is the gap analysis when you're doing content analysis. You're going to do attribution modeling to decide whether or not it's effective you know, and find out why or why not. So there's a lot that goes into this, this, this thing, this content strategy thing. It's uh, sure is now just back of the envelope, Matt, you know, if you were launching a new website, this could take you several weeks to months to Mm -hmm. start to just figure out what do you really need and what are the gaps? Um, Usually uh, for websites, we might recommend to people once every year, to two years on the max, you should really be doing an assessment of your content and making sure that it's still effective, making sure that your website functions as it should, right? There you go. There's the skinny cat. Um, And then- He really wants attention today. Yeah, well, (laughs) just going to keep eating until she gets attention. Is that what it is? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Did he eat another cat? What what happened? That's a big. big, (laughs) Did that cat eat a winter coat or something? What what happened? I distracted you with my cat. Yeah, uh, he's 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 saying. Dude, podcast is over. Let's go to the couch where you do a gap analysis. All right, we're going to do a gap analysis. Matt, where where are we going to go in the coming weeks? Um, and uh, when are we thinking about having some guests on the show? I think we're we're starting right. I mean, we've reached out to a couple at this point. I think we're very comfortable, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the, with the journey that we've taken and, and the direction that we're going. You know, as as we continue to say, we don't just talk about it. They're behind the scenes. We're all discussing. I guess we do talk about it as well. We're talking about it uh, behind the scenes and we're applying these learnings and these principles to our own you know, organization that we've been uh, working through and growing here, uh, understanding the audience, understanding the analytics, understanding what is interesting to them. And we do want to get some of these stories out uh, because I think it's important. And what I find more than anything is that when you really start to work with somebody in an organization doing this, you get such great perspectives. And I know we've all worked directly with organizations, sponsored them, donated to them, been participants and administrators and board members of them, but you can always learn something. So I'm so excited for some of the guests that we've reached out to, and I think they're excited to join us and have some great discussions. Uh, That sounds great. And I tell you guys, if you want to keep up with any of the previous episodes uh, and just immerse yourself in the concepts that we've been sharing, it's still early days. You can go to the 501c3lookup.org website uh, and you can download these for free. Um, Matt, um, where can they find you uh, and learn more about what you're doing these days? Well, uh, if you're going to start somewhere, I would start at 501c3lookup.org. You can click through to the 501 Companion podcast. You'll find it there. You'll find our bios. You'll find links and information. And that may take you, if you're lucky, to my website, matthewbalo.com, where you can find more information, a couple of blog topics, and some interesting things uh, going on over there. And Nick, where can they find you? 
You can find me also at 501c3lookup.org, but you can find me on also find me on Twitter at Nick Rufa, uh, Nick underscore Rufa. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, Nick underscore Rufa. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. And you can also find me at the 501c3lookup.org website in the 501 Companion Podcast and where all the finer podcasts are served. Uh, you can also find me on social media. I'm very active on Twitter at Buddy Scalera. And we thank you for joining us today uh, where you learned about how to create better content, optimize your technology, and improve your marketing to better serve your mission. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next show. Good night. Out. Wow. <laughs>